I want you to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Once again, we were there last week, but I want you to go back there because I want to finish what I started last week. Colossians, chapter 2, and verse 4. Paul is warning the church, the people that God used him to bring together. They got saved, they had eternal life, they were born again, and because this is the early church, the beginning of the church, the people in Colossae came to the Lord in the midst of so much idol worship and so much philosophy and other ideas about God's plural. This little group of people that had come to the Lord, it was Paul's labor of love to instill in them the truth about who it is they're following. And then with truth and with all the positive encouragement that you need to give to Christian people, there is also a necessary need to warn them about counterfeits and falsehoods and other kinds of misleading information that may sound good and may seem close, but it will mislead you in the end and you will not arrive at where God wants to bring you. God will not make us go to heaven. God will not make us learn. You can shrug your shoulders and be as rude as you want to be. You can be an outcast and in your faith. You can do that if you want to because you got a will. It's your freedom. But if you want to go to heaven, if you want to follow the Lord, you got to do it on His terms. And there's so much falsehood in the world. I don't think I'm overdoing it when I talk about the fact that with all the good that God has given us, there is thousands of bad that's trying to rob us of it. Because the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He doesn't care who you are, what your life is about, or your background, or what. He just wants to do one of those things. It's a process. He doesn't just do it all of at once. But it's a slow process of deceiving people and misleading and turning people away from Christ to something else. It's just a process. He just does it little by little to those bad days you have to make you blame God for it. Or those weak moments you have. Well, you're just not one of those that God wants to bless. And you begin to back yourself away from all the good that God brings you to. And, and next thing you know, you're just sitting there and you're getting nothing. Because you have been deceived. And the deception, like a seed, has taken root. And it is bearing deceptive fruit. And you complain, I go to church, I read the Bible, I do this and do that, but you know, I, I don't get anything. And you just go further and further away. You get away from that way you got to walk to have a relationship to God. And you think you have a relationship with God, but you're not following Him anymore. And it's hard to tell you that you're not. But I'm talking about thousands and thousands of church folks. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people. Good as any of us. But deception is such a subtle thing, so easy to get involved in. When Jesus said, beware and take heed, when the Bible warns us to be careful, to be sober, that's serious. Most people aren't. We just assume and take for granted that because we had some kind of an experience, we go to church, we're going to heaven. We just assume that. Because we see ourselves, well, like I'll talk about in a minute, we see ourselves as good enough. 
And somebody in some way has misled us into thinking that I don't need any more than I have. We're so well taught, we don't need to be taught anymore. We need to go do something. That's misleading. Because you'll never get to the place in this life where God has taught you too much. Now, you might have been in some kind of a teaching program and think you know a lot, but you don't know anything unless you know it the way God gives it. And that comes by revelation. And that's what secures us, keeps us steady on the road to heaven and in the road to light. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, 4, in warning this church, he said, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Remember we read that last week? And this word beguile, enticing are words of persuasion. That is, there are people who are very persuasive. It's hard not to believe what they say. It's hard not to just, well, that's, look who he is and where, what he's learned and where he came from. They're so persuasive that it's hard not to follow. But these persuasive people, he said, they beguile you. As we saw last time, the word beguile is the same as the word used in James chapter 1 and verse 22, where it says, if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, he deceiveth himself. That word deceiveth is our word beguile. It's a word which simply means to reach false conclusions. You don't see it God's way anymore. This is how you see it. This is how you would say, well, the Lord shows me this way. And all religions, it seems, have their people who say, well, this is the way the Lord showed us. Well, the Catholics said that's the way the Lord showed them. And, well, the Methodists, that's the way the Lord showed them. And, you know, independence or charismatics or whatever. This way the Lord showed us. No, the Lord can't show you two or three different ways. The Lord is not divided. Now, we got divided because somebody listened to what divides. But in the beginning, there was only one. And there is still today only one. There's only one way that is right. That's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no private interpretation. He gives revelation to those who seek it. People who don't seek it arrive at another conclusion because man will talk them out of it. He warns us right here. Beware lest any man mislead you cause you to reach a false conclusion about what Christianity and the way of God is all about. We looked at two verses last week, and, and I just want to mention this so we can go on. Remember in Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 16, he said, There is a way that seemeth right unto man. It seems right. It has all the appearance of being right. We sing. Somebody preaches. They're busy and active in doing things, helping people or going to mission fields and building things and, and helping people in disaster area, whatever. I mean, the church is busy doing good things, helpful things, and the people there come together. And, you know, they're not all perfect, but they come together. And we preach. You know, we have church. And for a lot of people, that's really the basis of Christianity. That's about all there is to it. Because doesn't it seem good? I mean, are we doing bad in here this morning? I don't think anybody sitting in the church this morning said, Man, we're warming up to evil this morning. Nobody would do that. 
We'll go wherever, wherever we choose to go because to us who chose to go where we go, it seemed to be the kind of place I want to go. And sometimes it doesn't matter what they preach. You go there because your family's there, or your friends are there, or your girlfriend or boyfriend is there. That's why you go. You don't listen. You don't pay attention. That's not why you came. But you're in a good enough atmosphere that, you know, nothing bad's going to come out of this. It seems good to me. I've been in a dozen churches, somebody said, and they're all the same. But, you know, who's to say? Am I to say one's better than the other one or one is above it? They all seem right to me. And the people like that are seldom taught. They don't like to be taught. They don't like to listen to being taught. They don't like to be ever disagreed with. They don't like for anybody from some other group to ever point out an error in their church. Maybe it's holiday errors. They hate that. They will disown you. Quit speaking to you in the name of Jesus over that. Because they've been misled. It is so easy to be deceived. If you don't keep your mind on the Lord, if you don't search and seek out and continue to follow after God the way the Bible says... In some earnest, sincere way, it is easy for you to relax your grip on the plow. And it seems to me that everything's fine. And yet the Bible warns us that you have to examine yourselves frequently to see if you're in the faith. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It's there. We have to read it. We have to be affected by it. I don't want to just let myself, well, we're preaching heaven, church, people are good and nice and kind, everybody, you know, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with being nice and kind and having church. But if nothing comes out of this, there wasn't much in it. Do you all believe that you can just have a little country fellowship with very little Jesus in it? You sure can. Even Paul warned his church, he said, Now there is going to be some come to you and preach to you another Jesus. Now how can you preach another Jesus? There was only one. Because man can make Jesus out to be different than the Bible portrays him. Well, I know now he said this, but. And then they begin to translate into human language or in human inventions what they think Jesus meant. Now, this is what the sermon is about. This is the danger of man's wisdom. The conclusion of man as he investigates and looks at things, yeah, you know, this is how I see it. And he begins to preach that, proclaim that, impart that, because that's his wisdom. That's how he sees it. For us, our wisdom is in Christ. We don't have to come up with anything. All we have to do is believe what's given to us. And when we do what God said, it's wise. A man that builds his house upon a rock is a wise man. A man who seeks first the kingdom of God is a wise man. A man who puts God first in his life, whatever the cost, is a wise man. Foolish to the world. Rejected by the world as an ignoramus, but wise in the eyes of God. Now, another thing that God says is that man's wisdom is what seducers are all about. Remember the Bible says in the last days that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Evil men and seducers. And they are everywhere. They will be like Jesus warned us. He said, 
They would be like wolves dressed like sheep. They look like sheep. They sound like sheep. They seem to sheep talk. But under all of that showy whatever is a wolf trying to get something. Praying on men's lives, souls' lives. Using people for their own good or trying to get what people have. Fleecing, is that still a phrase, fleecing the sheep? So we're warned about this. We're warned over and we can't preach on it every week. I think I try, but we can't do it all the time. But this is the way it is. I think even denominational systems have become like idols. We probably don't remember last week, but in Isaiah 44, he said the people made themselves an idol. The people. They didn't want it God's way, so they made their own way. This is man's wisdom. This is how man wants it. I like it the way I'm comfortable with. And so he cuts down a tree, and he shapes out of that tree. He shapes himself some kind of a booger-man-looking thing, and, and he begins to decorate it and bow to it, and he calls it a god. That's his god. And God says, how foolish you are because the wood you cut off of it to make all that stuff is what you cook your food on and the coals you warm yourself by. And yet you call that a God that can't talk, can't even stand by itself. Now we think, how could anybody do that? People worship a lot of things. People are dedicated to a lot of things. Religious people are far more dedicated to a system than a person. Now, I'll just say that, and you can reject it or take it, but I'm talking about religious people are dedicated to a religious system that was organized and formed by a religious man, and it does not entirely follow the Lord. It deviates. And if they speak not according to this word, you know the rest of it, they have no light. Now, why is a man so vulnerable? Why are you and I so vulnerable? I'm going to give you three quick reasons. I didn't get this finished last week. Man is vulnerable to deception because man thinks himself to be God. Little g. Man inherently, without God, sees himself as God. If a man ever saw who God is and who he is, he would turn to God. He would see how hopeless and helpless his life is in this world, and the way he's going with all his goals and desires, it will lead him to death. Now, if he saw that, he'd probably be convicted and turned to God. But man sees himself, he investigates church, he goes to church, religion. I did it when I was a kid. I went to one church all the time, but I mean, I, you know, I surveyed the thing. I worked in the local gas station where people bought their gas and hung out. I heard their stories and knew what they talked about. You know, my brief investigation of humankind was such that they're all bad. They're no different than I am. I don't need anything they got because they, they don't have anything different than what I got. And so you come to the conclusion that they're just people who just want something good in their life to lean on because as you get close to death, you need people to around you to pray for you and hope that works or... You need to go to church and try to improve on your goodness or your social goodness and so forth. But you're never going to be a whole lot more than actually what you are. But man sees himself. He contrasts himself with other people. Well, you know, that's the way you see it. Now, here's how I see it. 
Now, here's how I see it. I believe if God is as good and compassionate as y'all say He is in the Bible somewhere, because I don't know but what the Bible says, then I don't think somebody like that would ever send me to hell. See, He's making His own rules now. He's forming His eternal standards. He goes to His casket thinking like this. He has a conceptual religion. His concept of God is as He forms God. God is like us. Psalm 50, we looked at last week. Thou thoughtest I was altogether like you are. You got by with all your sins. I didn't stop you. You did this. I didn't stop you. And you thought because no big tragedy came, the earth didn't open up and thunder and lightning and hailstone fall from heaven. You thought we were all right because God never judged us. You begin to think about God in human terms. Well, I don't think God would do that. When it comes to issues in the church... Marriage issues, divorce or remarriage, or prosperity, or health and healing, or holidays. Well, I don't think God would do that. Oh, I don't think God would hold us to that. Well, what does the Bible say? I have no clue. But see, I'm my own God. I don't think God would do that. And He's allowed to get by with this because He's not in a place where there's much instruction. His wisdom is tolerated because, you know, who's to say anybody else is wrong? which is what a Bible is supposed to tell us all. So man begins to form his own ideas and opinions about God. He sees himself as good enough. And when he sees himself as good enough and unwilling to change, and he has established himself as his own God, determining his own destiny and holding whoever God is to accept that. And he's deceived. And he got deceived quite naturally because a lot of people, I think, feel like that. Turn to Ephesians 2. Another reason that man is so vulnerable to deception is because man is disobedient from the womb. Man meaning mankind. Do we disobey coming out? Coming into this world, there is nothing but disobedience. Rebellion. Rejection of God, rejection of whatever doesn't suit me. Verse 2, Ephesians 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past, that was, this is another church he's talking to, this is pre-salvation. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world. The way that you had been trained and talked. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit a demon that now works in the children of disobedience. Now stop. If what I just told you, and you check it out, if there is a spirit that causes disobedience, then there is a spirit that makes us rebels. All right? Now, if that spirit is replaced or removed or cast out, or we're ridded of that Spirit, and the Spirit of God comes in, then what kind of a Spirit is the Spirit of God? Da, 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 da. Obedience. You can be sure that a Christian will be marked by his desire to surrender himself to God on God's terms and whenever he sees it and it's clear. 
we may struggle with this, and, but come to the right conclusion. But when you draw back from God, well, I don't know about that. I don't want to live. I don't want to. The spirit right here we're talking about is trying to either regain or continue to hold you in a mode of disobedience. See, this disobedient spirit will tell you you're good enough. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to all these things. You don't have to do that because when God saved you, you just made good enough and you're always good enough. And that spirit continues to disguise itself in some religious setting and you remain disobedient. Some of the most difficult people to preach to today are religious people. Unregenerates are easy to talk to a lot of times and religious people are because the spirit. Can you see that the spirit that now worketh? It's not the spirit that now is on vacation in your life. The spirit is working, active. There is a spirit, a wrong spirit, that is working in the lives of disobedient people. That's what the Bible says. He said, you were like that at one time. But now, he says in verse 3, among whom we all also had our conversation or behavior or manner of life in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, naturally, without any need for help, children of wrath, even as others. Meaning, we were children who were destined to the judgment of the wrath of God, naturally. That's the way we were before we were saved. That's the way a lot of church folks are who aren't saved. I have no fault with their kindness, their demeanor, their friendliness. I've met as many as you have. But that doesn't mean you're saved. Being sweetly disposed and thought of so much doesn't mean you're saved. You can be like that and have a wicked heart about things. You can rebel against God or rebel against wives. Submit to your husband. Oh, no. I love you, Lord. Don't tell me you can't. We tend to pick and choose what we want to be holy with. And, man, we wear our six guns with the rest of that stuff. Don't tell me I'm going to have to do that. Don't tell me I can't do that. And who you think you are preaching like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when it comes to other issues, she's so sweet. He's so sweet. He's so. We can do a lot of right things, but just nature. It isn't hard to figure out how to gain the advantage of people. You know, I've been there. My mother raised me to be nice. I wasn't always nice, but I knew how to be nice. Even though I wasn't inherently nice, I knew how to act nice in order to make people think I was nice. Now, you all never did that, but I did. I'm just saying there is something about humankind that is able to figure out things in his own wisdom and allow himself to try to manipulate this thing to his advantage. I have been there. It can carry over into religion. As I've said so many times, I have more trouble with preachers than any of y'all do. But preachers can do that. It becomes a kind of a show, a kind of a, a display. Trying to gain this and that. So if anybody talks to you, they'll take whatever you say to be absolutely absolute. When Jesus never said ever 
to take any human being's word as the absolute gospel. You should find out if God says the same thing. If he doesn't say that, you don't have to follow that. But a natural man, a natural man is so vulnerable. You remember the Bible says, A natural man receiveth not. Remember 1 Corinthians 2.14? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned, understood, made applicable to your life. You can't do that as a natural man without the Lord. You can't do it. You may be a very intelligent man, very intelligent woman. You may be a very astute person in your studies and in your learning, and you crossword puzzle champion. And you may try to apply that same natural wisdom, because I know one case where this happened. Try that all your natural common sense, getting through life really good wisdom to spiritual matters and figure it all out and master it, and then you know that too. And a natural man could not for the rest of his life, if he lived 15 lifetimes, he could never know God in a natural way. He cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. He's a natural man. It's in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He says that the minds of the unbelievers have been blinded. You may come and sit in any setting and think you're all right. But the, the day of judgment, it's the day when it's over, when you don't breathe anymore. There's no need for air anymore. It's a different dimension now. It's an eternal state. And life is over. Your struggles are over. You're trying. All your decision making is over. You proved yourself. Now you're there. And the great judge of all the earth opens the books. I can't prove any of what I want I'm about to say, but I imagine there's a book that has every breath you took in it, every moment, every word, joke, story, escapade, sin, words, vile, everything is right there. If this has never been erased, if this has never been thrown out, like when you're born again, all things become new. If there's never been that newness in your life, then these books are open and a just and fair, loving God. Your name, I maybe, I don't know. Like I said, I've never been there. Never talked to anybody that's been there. And you'll be called forward in front of 10 billion people. Well, 10 billion people's lives are judged. You can stand there and through the entire judgment because you can't get tired anymore. You can't get bored anymore. You, you won't be doing this. You won't do that. You can stand very, very still. You don't have to breathe because there's no air. You're in an eternal state. You, you just stand there. But you'll never lose what you think. Your past, your life, never all of the things in life never leave you. That's why there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that other state. Because a man will see all of his mistakes and know he can't change them now. He said to the rich man, you in your lifetime, you had this and, and you had that. He can't forget that. He could never forget all the good he had and all the opportunities he had, the chances he had, maybe that moment when the Spirit of God spoke to him. Uh, not right now, not right now. I'm too busy. He'll never escape that forever and ever. And those books will be opened up and, and a just God will read it out. He said, okay. Word by word, maybe a lifetime. In our time, it might take a month to read all of that. One man. But when God gets through, 
You look at that person whose life has just been recorded, and that man will cry and weep, or woman. They'll bow their head in shame, because now all eternity knows the secrets of your thoughts. What was done in darkness is now made light. Nothing's hidden anymore. The shame of your life comes before God. And that moment in your life when you could have turned around and given your heart to Jesus, you couldn't because you were afraid of what your friends would think and what it might cost you. And you refrained and you stood back and now the books are read. And they begin now here on this particular date. You'll remember it. You won't have any mental problems there. He'll read it. And a lot of people might go, he did that? Yeah, because this hadn't been erased. We'll all know it. You stand there in front of the great and almighty God. All because you chose to be a rebel. Rebellious. My, my, my. Don't do that, folks. The third reason that man is so vulnerable is because he's sinful. Isaiah began his book. The great prophet began his book. Isaiah 1.4, he said, Ah, sinful nation, the people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are all gone away backwards. Now, can God say that? Say yes. Is that a judgmental statement that he just made? Yes. Is it right? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Think of it, a nation. Key word is sinful. Sinful means by nature you are a transgressor. No, I don't want to do that. No, no. But how do we escape what I'm talking about? It's going to confront us, all of you here. As long as you live in this world, you're going to have to deal with this some way or another, some place or another, some degree or another, some mode or another. You're going to have to deal with this and with your children, if you have them, the rest of your life. Now, you either get prepared and you learn now, or when it happens, you won't notice it. The first thing to escape is you must learn the truth. You must learn the truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth and what? The truth shall make you free. We come here to worship. God deserves better than what He gets. Amen? But that doesn't mean even on a slow night that nobody's worshiping. Sometimes the preacher gets a little bit disgusted because people, they're not even here. You know what? Maybe you're not. I've been here many times. I've gotten convicted. I tell you what, I, you know, <laughs> you know, and only to get alone just enough to think or get still and finally let the Lord get through the boohoo, break through the boohoos. And He says, "Who said you were so fired up when you went out there? Who said you were so well versed and prepared? You put prayer and time and energy into this yourself." The problem may not be with people at all. The problem may be with you. So I've had to learn a few things that, you know, 
if there's only two people in here this morning, just two of you, if there's only two hungry souls this morning, then whatever God gives you and whatever the way it comes, you're worth it. Anybody else that wasn't eager to hear it and they got all disgusted and look at why, then they deserve that. But God's going to feed His people. But we have to learn. Now, we can't learn if we're not taught, and you can't teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. Now, I've been to college, and I know how that works. <laughs> I know it. I'm ashamed, but I know it. But you can't learn anything. Nobody can teach you if you don't want to learn. If you see church as just a weekly mission stopover for a little boost to your do the next week, then you probably won't get much out of it. If, if this morning before you got here or right after you got here, if you prayed that God would show you something, would some way encourage you with His Word or open your eyes to see something you don't see, and Lord, let the preacher be free to talk to me this morning if nobody else. If that's all you prayed, then God will talk to you. Now, if you had no time to pray or saw no reason to pray or the object of prayer never come to your mind this morning before you got here, then you really weren't that interested in what's going to happen here when you got here. I'm talking to all of you. All of us. All of us. If you're really interested, if you're really hungry, or if you're sincere about your need, you will pray. You'll pray some sort of a prayer that has to do with a need in your life. If you're poor in spirit and you see your need, you'll pray for God to minister to your need. You will. Because if you don't do that, you probably won't get much out of what was said today. You'll remember a thing, but it won't affect your life. Or you'll, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that before. And that's probably that. Without realizing, you could hear something you've heard before and hear something you never heard before. Did you get that? You hear something you've heard before and get something you never heard before. You can do that. I'll tell you this, just because you've heard something once doesn't mean God showed you everything there is for you to see in it. God's words are designed to fall into your heart as things that cause you to line your life up and to be what He wants. If you don't have a hunger for that, you won't learn much. Oh, you may be able to quote the Ten Commandments or this or that, but you won't learn much. It's in other words, words that affect your lifestyle, choices. That's what learning is. Teach me Thy way, O Lord. Would you look just for a moment at Second Peter chapter 1 to show you how important it is to learn knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I like this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What's the key thing here? The knowledge of a person, right? Knowing a person. Not knowing about a person, but knowing a person. Familiarizing yourself with somebody who is your Savior. 
At least you won't have to say, I was saved by a stranger. You'll be able to say, I know in whom I have believed. Or you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge. That's the way you get it. Through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. And then the next verse begins, Whereby or by this means are given unto us all the things that make us successful and strong and well-equipped to live this life. But you cannot, you cannot do it without knowing who He is and what He offers. You can't. I can't say it better than that. I'm limited. But it's through the knowledge of Him that... And then hereby are, and all these other wonderful experiences come. But you've got to go back to the fact that you've got to make a choice to seek out, to listen, to pay attention to, and then deal with it. We'll get to that in just a moment. Because the second thing you have to do to not be so vulnerable is that you have to prove what you hear is right. Have you ever heard this statement said, don't believe it because I say it? Well, you shouldn't. You should like to be able to. I wouldn't want to go somewhere with everything I hear. I have to rewind it all the time. But on the other hand, you don't want to just assume something is true because some educated preacher says there's some book-writing preacher or just somebody's had a lot of deep revelations with the Lord tell you something that God said God showed me. I'm not saying he didn't do any of that. All I'm saying is that it's like somebody had a big TV thing the other day an interview with a person who had been to hell. I think he had a book or something. I heard this story once and was describing the awfulness of hell and talked about how demons down there were just tormenting people. You know what? Listen, there is nobody tormenting anybody in hell. They're all tormented by the same thing, including demons. One of the things that the demons cried out that Jesus would not do is to send them to that place. Remember the story about the pigs in the water? They said, don't send us to that place. There's nobody down there with a pitchfork goading you on and making it worse. It's a place of eternal torment. Punishment. Not only for the angels who are chained into the day of judgment. They're going to get theirs. But the devil is going to be cast into the same pit. And all of his followers and all the... They're all going to say, there's nobody down there rejoicing and doing anything. It's a place of awfulness. For all those who followed anything other than God, who resisted God, it's a place of awfulness. But you have to prove what you hear. See, I wouldn't know to think like that. I'm not a campaigner. I'm not going to get on a phone line or Facebook. I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that. I'm not a campaigner. I just know that for myself, I'm not sure that that experience is, that's being described is exactly scriptural. That's all I'm saying. Now, the reason I can say that is because in my lifetime, in studying these things, that's one of the things I learned. Now, that's going to keep me from just throwing in and repeating what he said as though that's the truth. I want to know what the truth is. 
There have been many things preached through my lifetime, but I, always, I just went along with it until one day I decided, what does that mean? Well, what is that? Now, I lost friends over some of these things. Not because they knew. They still don't today have no clue as to what they believe about certain things. But because you don't throw in with them and believe the same way, they think you're a cult or you're a heretic, one of them said. That heretic down in Kentucky. Well, I pray that I'm not a heretic. I take that seriously. People call me names. I go back here and, and I say, now, if that's true, I want to go out there and tell this crowd right here that you all need to go through deliverance from me. I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't want to lie to anybody. I don't want to soften the road for anybody. I don't want to make it too rocky. I just want to say what it is. Say what it says. You're worth that. Say amen to that. That's okay. But you want to prove. First Thessalonians 5, 21 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. How do you know if something is good? How do you know if something you've heard is good? The Bible has to say it. Now, if you don't know what the Bible says, how can you prove it? You're at the throne of the wisdom of somebody you admire and want to follow if you don't know what the Bible says so that you can prove what he said. You ever heard of the Bereans in the Bible? Acts 17 and verse 11 and 13, I think, or 14. It talks about the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. You know why? Because they searched out the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And Paul was not offended. Paul did not say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are you to question me? I've seen Jesus. I was caught up to the third heavens. I'm going to write half the New Testament. And you're questioning me. You know what this guy said? Because his heart belonged to God and he knew his source for his... Whatever he had, he knew it came from God. You know what he said? Oh, I like those Bereans. I went in and gave them revelation knowledge. Knowledge that came from God by revelation. Conversation with God in Acts 7. I mean, talked. Spent time together with God in some place, Paul said, some third heaven, somewhere. A human being had an experience that very few will ever have. And in that place, God began to show Paul things. That nobody else knew. Nobody knew. Nobody. He was even to say about the communion table. He said, I'll tell you what the Lord told me. That on the night that he was betrayed, he said this. And this is what that means. He said, this is not something that some man told me. He said, this came from God. Other times he wrote, he said, now, the Lord didn't say this, but I said this. Well, obviously it was the Lord that said it because all Scripture is given by the Lord. But he wasn't taking credit for it. What a man. And he said to these people who questioned this kind of a man, there's no university graduate in the world that could equal a Paul. There's no human being in the world that could have taught Paul what he was taught. And yet he never exalted himself. He said the Bereans, they, you know, when I told them the truth, he said they went and got together and searched the Scriptures to see if what I said was true. The only Scripture they had was the Old Testament. And God was revealing unto the new what was hidden in the old, and Paul was simply bringing it out. 
Read Romans. And these folks heard what Paul said, and you know what happened? They became believers. Well, they were stable and steadfast because not only did they hear and learn something, but let's make sure, let's make sure. Let's make sure this new thing going around, this bark and laugh and jerk and tattoo and yelling, dumb talking stuff. Let's make sure this is God. Let's don't follow something. Boy, I went and got healed. I'd had this problem my whole life and I got healed. It has to be God. Not necessarily. The Bible says in the last days that the Antichrist will work strong miracles, lying Signs and wonders will come from those whose message is false. That's why we're to be sober. Not giddy about all this stuff going around or any new thing going around. That's why we need to prove what God says in His Word. God has given us not the spirit of this world, Paul wrote, but the spirit that is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us by the Lord, whether they be things or spiritual words. That's 2 Corinthians 2. God has given us these things that we might know what belongs to us. Now listen, all of us, you and me, we're without excuse. All of us. Now, third thing. We must be willing to live it. This is as simple a message as I can think of in my life. Learn, prove, and do. Learn, prove, and be willing. That's really what the Lord asks of us. He speaks, He reveals, and then He says to you and me. Back again in Isaiah 1, 19, He said, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. In other words, if you're willing and obedient, God will bless you. You'll make it. You'll arrive at the destination that has been set before you. The plow will get the field done. You'll be huffing and puffing, a few scars and bruises, but there'll be a smile, an eternal smile on your face. You'll make it. It cost you everything, but it was worth everything it cost you. Because you were willing to do what he said. This is a walk we're in. This is a way of life. It's not easy. It's difficult. Decisions you have to make are difficult. This is the way God set it up. You have no other choice. You can make other choices, but all other choices, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but what? It leads to death. No wonder Jesus said, now before you jump in here, and like a lot of people, I want to do it. I don't know about that. Two months later, I don't know about this. Before you do that, he said, sit down first and what? Count the cost. You sure you want to walk this way? You sure you want to subscribe to spiritual things that's going to cost you social things? You sure? You want to be talked about? You want people to reject you and hear rumors about you or your children? You want to hear that? Then you better sit down and count the cost because all of this is going to confront you because before it's over, God's program for all of us is going to be the emptying of ourselves 
of self replaced with that which is of God. This self-emptying process is going to be necessary for us to arrive at the place that God is directing us. Because the fourth thing in protecting yourself is that you must refuse any other message. This is where you get in trouble with other religionists who think you're, um, what, legalistic? I don't speak against the people in these churches. The people in all these other churches are as good as any of us. We're better than nobody. I'm only better than I used to be. But I and you, we are no better than anybody in any church, any prison, any jail, or any bar in the world. Human beings are human beings. God has made a difference with us as he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I see myself as very grateful and very thankful for the fact that he did that because I could be down there with them because I used to be down there with them. But he's changed all that for me. I owe him my best on his terms. I owe him the best I can give him. He's worth all the price I have to pay. Whatever that is, I have to be willing to do that. But when somebody wants me to follow another direction, you've heard me quote this. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 13 so you'll know that I didn't just make it up. Verse 1, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, this is sort of these movement things, and gives you a sign or a wonder. Works a miracle. Woo! Man! Does that. And the sign or the wonder come to pass. Oh, that's where I would say, woo! Whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, Let us go after the other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. In other words, we put translate that. You know, he does a sign or a wonder. He does a miracle you've never seen before, not in any church you've been to. And here's somebody that comes along you never heard of, and wow, right off the bat, somebody got healed of tooth and eye and limb or something got fixed or made right. But his message was misleading. You know, his message was taking you away from what you had heard. Here's what God said about this, verse 3. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. Will you put God in his word before the evident miracle you saw? What if somebody worked a miracle in here and then told you, I know the situation where this happened one time, a meeting that I was in. A place I had been, a guy that came after me. He wrote a book on tongues, a very heady, very intelligent, big, thick book about glossolalia and about tongues talking for today. It's a positive book. lady came up. She wanted to go through deliverance from a Catholic spirit. She'd been a Catholic all of her life, and it's very difficult to undo all that stuff in their minds because their brain works automatically. You just do it, but don't think about it. He told her, you don't have to do that. He gave her a rosary. said, I use this every day. And I think the Virgin Mary would be very offended if you quit speaking of her every day. 
You know, they say every day, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among all women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Then they say, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. They say it every day. That's a Catholic prayer. He sent her home with the security of that's a good thing to do. Don't give up that. Hold on to that. Now, is this man a deceiver? Absolutely. A number one. Great. But nobody will ever confront him because he's written a book. I don't know where he is now, if he's even still alive. This was 35 years ago. But I remember that somebody could do that. You've got to be the place where you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that. No. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 19. For there must also be heresies among you, so that those who are what? Approved might be known. I want you to think about what that says. Paul writes, for there must be heresies. These are truths with mixture in them to make them not truth. It's like a Pepsi Cola with three drops of strychnine in it. It tastes like Pepsi, doesn't it? But you won't like it tomorrow. Because you'd be on a slab. And if you knew there were three drops of strychnine in it, you wouldn't drink it. It's like a story about brownies I heard once. You wouldn't eat them either. It's another story. He said, there must be heresies among you. It's going to happen. Somebody's not going to follow this. Somebody's going to see something different. And they're going to try to persuade you this way. Just like that guy on TV said the other day, you know, your wife had this forgetful mental disorder that he could divorce her because he was still young. You could divorce her and marry somebody because essentially she's dead anyway. That's heresy. This is from a person of high-level acceptance. There must be heresies among you. So that those who won't follow that stuff and take a stand outside of that, and I ain't gonna buy, no, I ain't buying that. They'll be known. Now, they'll be called hard-headed, stubborn, difficult, but they'll be known. But your Bible says it, and it says it right there. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Take heed that no man deceive you. Don't follow just because there's a movement going on in the last days. There are going to be more of them. As I speak right now, I predict that you haven't seen movements come like you're going to see come within the church. Boy, vaunted, displayed, advertised, travel, motorhome. Wow! You wait. And I'd also say that you better be careful what you hear because it's not valid because you do it. The only valid thing about this is if they say it. Now, I know that signs shall follow those who believe, but do they believe? You can't believe God if you're in error. That doesn't work. Finally, fifthly, in closing, if you want to avoid or escape all this deception that's coming, avoid negative friends, companions. Avoid negative Companions, we do not need 
with what we have been taught, the little bit that we have been taught, we do not need to sit around griping, complaining, and murmuring about things. Somebody say amen to that. With where God, hopefully, where He's brought us, we do not need to sit around and murmur and complain and whine and cry and listen to the talk shows that do nothing but give you negative things to think about. I don't need to listen to all this political negative. I don't need that. I really don't. I know enough about it that I know the difference in this one and that one. And if I were a voting man and all of that, what way I'd probably go. I don't need to sit around and listen to talk shows and listen to people on the talk show with all of their conservative views and stuff. It's all negative. And it feeds you to criticize. It teaches you to criticize others. And you don't need that. Because when you're critical, you're judging other people. You don't need that. I don't need it. I know you don't. I don't need to run around with people that are always complaining. I don't. I'm not around people like that, but people are complaining about everything. Something's always wrong. Nothing's good. I've been there, and I've learned, you know, that it does no good for me to advertise my complaints because there's no market for them. <laughs> Nobody wants them. Nobody buys them. But negative people gravitate to negative people. You sit out the little country store somewhere at lunchtime. I've been here. And the good old boys and sometimes the good old girls are sitting around there just yapping about it and laugh. Oh, yes, I'd shoot him is what I'd do with him, you know, and just talk. Well, they ought to hang at him from a tall tree. That's the good old boy way of life. But you can be in some sophisticated Starbucks and do that. You can do that in some college looking something. Well, now, I think that over in... And you can do that. I would hang that one. <laughs> same spirit. Just talk different, but it's the same spirit. You know what? I don't need that. I'm around it occasionally, and I don't tell people, oh, I'll rebuke you. I ain't listen to that. I don't do that. You know, there's a lot of people that I'd like to lead the Lord in my life, and I'd like for them to accept me, but not because I'm like them, but because they know that I'm different, but I'm not what they had most preachers figured out to be. is some kind of a lapel grabbing in your face, spit flying out of your mouth, preacher. But on the other side, you know, <laughs> President Truman once told his advisor who came to him, and he said, now, President Truman... This is the way it is. On the other hand, it says, now this is, he said, why don't you cut one of them off? Quit giving me one on the other hand. I'll cut one of your hands off, so I've only got one. I want what you think, you know, not what you think and then what the other. I want to know what's right. And I think that when we separate ourselves from people that are complaining or criticizing, I seldom ever run around. I do a little bit because it may not talk about it much, but I'm not around people in other groups very much. A lot of them I like. Some of them are really good people. And I don't sit around discussing the differences between us. If the subject comes up, I would, as gently as I could, tell them. If it got worse than that, then I'd just say it plain. 
I'm not trying to tell you to go out there and be rude and distant to people. On the other hand, I am saying who you surround yourself with is going to be talking to you a lot. If they talk negative to you and, and, and you're willing to sit around their company and listen to it, they'll make you negative. They will. God is good. Now, are you willing to follow the wisdom of God or the wisdom of man? Man is interesting. God is narrow. But one way leads to life. One way leads to death. The choice is yours. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to us this morning that we understand it, that we can receive it, that we can deal with it. If there's anybody in our room this morning, man, woman, boy, girl, whoever, that realizes today that I need to straighten things out in my life, then may this be the day they do that. Whoever you have touched, whatever heart you have turned, I ask you to minister to that heart. And may they know that there are many here who will be willing to talk to them more about it. But we're here, Lord, as to save people, to learn truth that a natural man cannot learn. May it be truth that falls into our heart and motivates our lives. I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? To present me before his glorious throne, I shall appear with a fault and with joy, for he is able, Jesus is able to keep me from falling. He is able. To present me before his glorious throne, I shall appear without fault and with For he is able, Jesus is able to keep me from Let's fill this house with prayer. Let us pray.